Lord, may your light shine in our hearts and guide us and shine through our lives so that others may know of your presence and your love and your joy and your peace. Amen. As you have probably figured out, I am a great fan of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I enjoy reflecting upon her largely unknown, yet sacred and very important ministry done almost entirely behind the scenes. We do not have the stories or know the details of how she went about raising the Son of God. But we sure do get to see the results, and she did a great job. But it was clearly not without trials. First, he was born in a manger during a trip away from home. And then, a couple weeks ago, we heard about the 12-year-old Jesus staying behind in the temple in Jerusalem without letting her know. And then we get to today. Jesus had gone to see John the Baptist and was baptized in the River Jordan, where he heard God call him the beloved, his beloved son. And then he spent time in the desert where he was tempted by Satan and ministered to by the angels. And now he has returned home. And so he goes with his mother Mary and his family and his brand new disciples to a wedding in Cana. Now, if you think about it, John's gospel is unique in that it was actually written by the very person who was caught up in and was a major character in the stories that he's writing about. What I mean by that is none of the other gospels were actually written by the hand of one of the original 12 apostles. It was thought that Mark wrote his gospel based upon what he was told by Peter. Luke wrote his gospel in conjunction probably with Mark or at least Mark's writings. And Luke's gospel and Acts are clearly influenced by Paul. But John was an eyewitness to what he was recording. And what we have are, are the stories and the miracles, but we also have sometimes have his reflections upon what he saw. And he clearly has at least a couple of purposes. First, John wants people to know about this man named Jesus. And second, he wants them to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And third, that Jesus is the Messiah who was sent to save all humankind from sin and death. And so John writes about these signs from heaven that point to those facts that Jesus was the Son of God. He witnessed most of the signs he writes about and he has picked them as the major events, good or bad, that prove his point. So he starts with the incarnation and then the baptism and then the miracles and the healings and finally the passion of Christ. And as he writes about these signs, he reflects upon what they mean. Also through his writings, we get to meet the people that Jesus hung around with for long periods of his life. 
For example, John the Gospel writer was not at the baptism of Jesus, but clearly he had met John the Baptist. And John the Baptist made a huge impression on John the Gospel writer. And then today, we get to hear a story about how John the Gospel writer probably first got to meet and be with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he got to see her in action in her own ministry. This is such a great story about Mary as a mom. She acts like such a mom here. Our mothers, perhaps more than anyone that we, uh, more than anyone know our potential and can have the greatest faith in us. And they can be our greatest encouragers. There's this old painting of a saint or an angel who's, a, who's an encourager. And we think of encouragers as warm and loving and hugging on us. But this painting takes a different tack. If you look closely, the encourager is holding a stick. And at the end of the stick is a sharp point like an arrow. And the thought is that an encourager sometimes has to poke us with a sharp stick to get us moving. And I think that may be what is going on in our gospel reading today. Now, some folks who read this story, they say, well, Joseph has died. That was Mary's husband, has, is dead by now, leaving Jesus as the head of the household. And so Mary is looking at him to help in this, this horrible failure of hospitality, of running out of wine. To that, I say, baloney. I mean, this was not even their house in the first place. And secondly, look at the response of Jesus. He says, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? And then he goes on to say something even more curious. He says, my hour has not yet come. So that is a strange response. Until you think of the mommy code. Now the mommy code, and teachers have this code too, but the mommy code is a secret language between a mother and a child that they use to make some private point in public. It can be the code for, you better stop acting that way or we are going home. Or it can be code for, stop what you are doing and listen. Or it can be a code for, I told you so. So, for instance, my mom would start counting and she would start going one, two, three, and there were four of us and all four of us knew that we were not acting appropriately, probably, and that we were to get our act together or there would be consequences. In Mommy Code, there is no long drawn out discussion. Each side knows exactly what the other person is truly saying. And so Mary looks at Jesus and says, there is no wine. And Jesus replies, woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. And you can just picture Mary standing there and looking at him with that mama look. And then he does what she is really telling him to do. She knows his potential and she is encouraging him to live up to it and to get to work. And so as a good son, he does what his mother tells him to do, and he gets to work. 
You see, this miracle is what starts off Jesus' public ministry. His mom encourages him to get to work. And John, who is new to this whole family, John is watching all of this. And clearly it made a lasting impression on him. And so John writes about it precisely for the unexpected result that he then witnesses. The water was turned into wine and probably the very best wine ever. And so the exchange between the mother and the child, that phrase stuck with him. My hour has not yet come. That phrase and what happened to the water, it sticks with him. In fact, he writes a lot about Jesus and water in his gospel. The baptism, being reborn, the woman at the well, the calming of the storm. But I think it is the last story, his last story about water in his gospel that sort of bookends this first one of today. It happens the night before Jesus, before Jesus is crucified. They are at the Last Supper, and again, there are water jugs in the room. And after supper, Jesus again takes water from the jugs, and you can just picture John watching what is going on, what is going to happen. And then Jesus says, my hour has come. And now he uses the water to wash the disciples' feet. And he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So you see, water and wine remind us that we are living sacraments of God. Just like that water that was turned into wine in Cana, God, by his Holy Spirit, gladdens our heart, puts joy in our hearts, that shines through to others. He made each one of us on purpose to be the unique individuals that we are. Through the water of our own baptism, the Spirit of God descends upon us he resides in our heart and turns each one of us into his beloved. Like the spirit in the jugs of water in Cana that made the very best wine ever. God's, spirits works, God's spirit works within each one of us throughout our lifetime, intensifying our particular and very individual flavor. When God's spirit touches water or wine or bread or our hearts, it changes it, consecrates it. And that is why the Eucharist that we celebrate each Sunday, is not just a good thought or a memorial meal. God's actual spirit touches this place, touches us, touches that bread and wine giving us a weekly refreshment of his very spirit. God continues to wash off the stains of our souls that are brought by, about by our times here on earth. And so that first sign of Jesus, turning water into the very best wine, 
is therefore a sign to the world and it is a sign to us of what is happening within each one of us. Amen.